you have your Bibles, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, and we're going to go down all the way to verse 8. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, all the way through 8. If you don't have your Bibles, we have the scriptures on the screen. And so this is uh, what the Word of God says. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you should uh, look into the interest of others. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that's Jesus. That's his approach uh, in life. He is the person that's, even though being the most powerful person, he's going to take the humble way. And so what we're doing today is we're starting a brand new series. And the name of the series is called Metanoia. We talked about this last week, Metanoia. And Metanoia is a, is a Greek word uh, that really means repentance. So many times in the scripture, in the New Testament, you're going to hear the word repentance. And that comes from the Greek word metanoia. So I'm going to say there's three verses that I want to share with you that have this word in it. Number one is Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. It says this. It says, um, and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We also have Mark 1.15 that says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Also Acts 2.38 says this, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so metanoia uh, means, means repent. And I don't know about you, but I grew up believing that repentance was something uh, that meant sort of like a change in direction. I grew up, this is what I always heard, repentance is like a military term. So it means like you're walking in this direction, and then you're just kind of turning, and then now you're walking in that direction. And that made sense to me because it was like, yeah, I'm doing a certain thing in my life, I'm walking a certain direction, and now I'm going to change, you know, 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Direction and that's that's true, but it's a it's a partial truth because metanoia is a is a change that's much more profound. It comes from the inside. You see, I can make a parallel between the word uh, meta, metanoia and also with the word uh, metamorphosis. So metamorphosis is also a a Greek word, but it means a change from the outside, right? You think about the uh, the, the butterfly, right? So you've got the um, uh, what do you call it? The, like, that worm thing caterpillar, right? And so that worm thing called a caterpillar uh, has this, this change, right? Over, over time, there's this change, and then you've got this bat butterfly, and then you've got this caterpillar, and the, the external change is so complete that, that it becomes unrecognizable. So you've got the butterfly and the, the, the caterpillar over here, and like, this is a completely different thing. It doesn't even look like the same thing. And so metanoia is something similar, but it's a change from the inside. And the calling on our lives by Christ is that this change, this metanoia from the inside 
what isn't just a small tweak. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm going to change a few things in my life. It's, it's such a profound change from the inside out that, that we become unrecognizable. So I see a person who, who receives Jesus and they go through this process of, of metanoia, of changing all these things. And I'm like, man, this is like a completely different person. Something happened to this, to this guy. Change from the inside. Metanoia. And so what I want to talk about here uh, today is, is this change that we are called to be a part of. And what I want to talk about today is specifically about ourselves, changing, changing how we think about ourselves. For the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about different aspects of changes that we need to have from the inside. But today, I'm going to start by, by us revisiting how we think about ourselves. How do we see ourselves? How do you see yourself? You see, I grew up believing that this whole idea of, of change needed to be external. So there was an external change. So, hey, you're, you're, you're a follower of Jesus now, and you better change. You better change. You got to change the way you act. You got to be better. You, you better try harder. You better not lie. You better just all, do all these things from, from the outside, which in my mind now, as I look back, that's more of like a calling to metamorphosis and not to metanoia. We're not called to change from the outside. The outside will follow if we change from the inside. So we have to start from the inside. You see, just focusing on changing your behavior is like putting a Band-Aid on skin cancer. Like, no, 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 you got it, you got it. It may look fine on the outside for a while, but sooner or later, what's really happening on the inside is going to come out and it's going to become evident to everyone else. That's why our change needs to be from within and the rest will follow. And so in this series, we're going to be talking about four things that we need to change from the inside. And today we're going to start by talking about how we see ourselves. How do we see ourselves? What is our concept of, our, of ourselves? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you notice that that person is not listening to you? Like you're talking and you're like, I don't, I don't feel like this person's not like, his mind is somewhere else, you know? Isn't that annoying, right? So some of you guys are like, um, yes, he's right next to me. Talk to him, pastor. But we're not gonna do that now. It's not marriage counseling, Okay. We'll have time for that at some point. But the point is, sometimes you, you notice that the person that you're talking to is, is, not, is not listening. And there are also people um, that sometimes they, they, they're not listening. They're, all they're doing is focusing on what they want to say. They're just waiting for a silence in order for them to be able to say what's on their mind. All of us know people that think that they're the, most, the, that they're the smartest person in the room. Right? Oh, I'm going to wait till everyone talks, and then I'm going to tell you what's actually the reality of things, right? Now, the interesting thing is when you get two people like that together, and you get them talking to each other, like nobody's listening, they just want to one-up each other, and it's like there's no progress here, and it's a little embarrassing to watch. But the point is that I wish we would have, um, let's say, have a different perspective of ourselves, because we, we can be very critical about these types of people, but the reality is that ourselves, many times, we think it's all about us. Like, that maybe, maybe you're fine at listening, but maybe in other aspects of your life, you think that it's all about you, your opinion, your plan, your future, the things that you want to do. 
And it comes innate. Like we grow up with this. We grow up thinking, like even as little children, we grow up believing that life is all about us. Our, fa- our first words, right? Mine, me, for me. Like this is innate. Like we are intrinsically selfish. And many of us never grow out of it. Some people's mindset is this world, this is my world, and you're just living in it, okay? So it's all about me. But it's hard to snap out of this mindset. In fact, I was, I heard a pastor, it's a while back, he's, he, this is an, an old sort of um, uh, illustration that he was using. He was talking about this whole idea of, of us thinking that we're the center of everything. And he used this, this concept of the, the, the rocky scene. I have an image, don't show the image yet, please. I'm going to tell, I'll tell you when. I should have told you that before, but I'll tell you when to show the image. Um, there's this Rocky scene. Remember that Rocky scene, Rocky II? He's running down the streets of Philadelphia, right? Dun, 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 and then he's got like these random kids just following him, you know, for like miles. And I'm like, I was watching that scene this morning, kind of remembering. I'm like thinking about the kids as a parent, like, where are your parents? Like, you're just running after this guy by yourself, you know, but that's the scene, you know, and then all these people are showing up, and he's running up those stairs, remember, and he goes, and he's, he's up, and his hands are up, and everyone's, Rocky, 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 right? So here's my question. Do you remember that little kid that was right next to him? No? Let me point him out. That kid. Remember that kid? Okay. Nobody remembers that kid. I don't remember that kid. You remember that Rocky scene. You don't remember that kid. You could ask 10 people if they remember the Rocky scene. Out of those 10 people, they're going to be, yes, I remember that Rocky scene. Out of those 10 people, you're going to ask them, do you remember that kid that was right next to Rocky on that Rocky scene at the end? No one's going to remember that kid at all. Why are they not going to remember him? Because, because the scene is not about him. Now, the problem is that kid right now, he's probably 50 years old now. And that 50-year-old guy, I guarantee you, every time he sees that scene, he is only looking at himself. And he's bringing his friends, and he's saying, hey, remember that scene? I'm in that scene. Look, that's me right there. Like, nobody cares. This scene is about Rocky. It's about his moment. It's him. Everybody remembers just random kids all around Rocky. Nobody remembers that kid except that kid who wants everyone to think that that scene is about him. Now, we may laugh at that, but don't we think about our lives like that sometimes too? Like we think this life is all about about us, but the reality is that we are not here to bring glory to ourselves. We are here to bring glory to God. Now, the reason why I share that is because we tend to live our lives that way every single day of our lives, we tend to live our lives that way. We're driving, like why don't these cars move? right? It's like, it's about me. You're in line. Why doesn't this line go faster? You're on the phone. Like, why do, why do I have to be on call waiting? I'm call number three. Why can't I be caller number one? We think this story is about us. And the problem is that, that this, it is a wrong assumption. As Christians, it is a wrong assumption. And we have this understanding, for example, also as we relate to, to the scriptures, like many times we will read the scriptures, and I make this mistake a lot. We will, make, we will read a scripture, and we think that the story is about us. 
Like, we're reading the story about David, David and Goliath. I'm like, man, I'm David. I got a Goliath in front of me. I got this financial challenge. You know, it seems too big, but just like David, with my slingshot, I'm going to bring down this financial problem that I'm in, and I'm going to come out of this victorious. Or the story of Gideon. You're like, oh, man, I'm Gideon. In this story, I got a relational issue, you know, I've got like this small army and this huge challenge that's in front of me, you know, I'm going to go after this thing in my life and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have victory over it just like, just like Gideon. Or we think about Paul and his story and how his story unfolds, you know, he has a great, great, you know, guy, a lot of influence, a lot of power. He goes, you know, down and God brings him down and then all of a sudden we're talking about him and everyone's talking about Paul and like, I want to be Paul and maybe God will allow for me to be like Paul. And so we miss, we miss the story. Because when we interpret the scriptures that way and we, we read ourselves into the scripture, we get all kinds of strange thought about who we're called to be, who we are in this story, levels of authority, like God has called me to be this important person in this story about myself. And we make this the goal for us to be powerful, respected, and honored. Not that any of those things are necessarily bad, but we think that this story should revolve around us. And when it doesn't revolve around us, like, oh, I'm just like a side character, like, that's, there's, like there's something wrong with that. You see, the scripture is not a collection of stories about great people who did great things. This book is about a great God who used regular people like you and me to accomplish extraordinary things. But the whole story is all about him. The whole thing. You see, this book is about God. And not just this book is about God, but, but the church is about God as well. He is the center of it all. Colossians 1.18 says this. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. He is the head of the church. He is, he is the story in the Bible. He is the head of the church. The Bible revolves around God. The church revolves around God. That's true about our lives as well. Romans eleven thirty six. it says this. It says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So this, this book is about him. This church is about him. And your individual lives and my individual life revolves around him. Now, this is so important because... We have to get this right. That's going to save us from a lot of trouble and a lot of confusion as we navigate our, our Christian life. You see, because even though we may agree with this, like, oh, yeah, I understand, Pastor. That's not new information. Like, I know God is the, is, is the center of everything, and everything should revolve around him, and we should give him the throne of our lives. Like, I understand that concept, Pastor. But here's the problem, is that we have to understand something as well. We have to understand that, that, that we have a role and we don't have a role. There is a, a role that we think that we have that we don't actually have. And here's, I want to explain it this way. Growing up in church, we would say sometimes things that, that made sense to us, but when you think about them, they don't make any sense at all if you understand who God is. And I'll give you an example. I would hear this. I need to put God on the throne of my life. 
And you're like, yes, okay, good. Good, that sounds great. Like you gotta put, like, you gotta put God on the throne of your life. And so all of us, you gotta, you gotta put God on, on the throne of, of your life. And, and it's all, this whole idea that, that, that I've been sitting on the throne of my life way too long. I'm gonna get off of this throne and I'm going to allow God to now sit in this throne. And it sounds okay at first glance, but think about how we see ourselves if we think that this idea is true. So we see ourselves sitting on this throne. Like I'm sitting on a throne, right? And, and, and I have the power to decide who's going to sit on this throne. So I'm going to get off of my throne and I'm going to tell God, you know what, God, you sit here for a little bit. I think it's your turn to sit here for a while. I'm going I'm to allow for you to sit here. And so there's an assumption that we're sitting on the throne and we have the power to get off the throne and to tell God, hey, sit here for a while. And then maybe in the future, like, I'll get you off the throne and then I'm going to sit back in my, in my place. The, the, the question that I want to ask you is, is, how do you see God? How do, I, how do I see God? I used to hear things like, there's only room for one person on the throne. Who's it going to be? Like, I had the power to decide. You know, like, oh, okay, so yeah, uh, I'm going to make it God. I'll make God be the one sitting on, on the throne for a little bit. Do you think God is going to thank you for allowing him to sit there? See, this is such an important way in which we need to have metanoia in how we see ourselves. Re- Revelation 1.8 says this, I am, this is God, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here's what this tells me. This tells me that God has always been sitting on the throne, always. And we are under this strange delusion that we have been there for a while and it's time for us to put God on the throne for a little bit. Um, have you ever seen these car seats, these, ba- these baby car seats that have a steering wheel on it? Kind of cute, right? Sitting in the car seat, right? Baby's got this steering wheel, you know, and you're driving the car. But the baby's got a steering wheel, and the baby and the mindset of the baby, they're like, oh, I'm driving this car, man. This is, uh, this is really fun, you know? And you look at it as a parent, you look back, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's kind of cute, you know? But you understand that they're under the delusion. They're not driving anything, okay? So when I think about that, I think about our lives as well. Like, sometimes we can be under the delusion that we're, hey, we're driving this car, you know? And, and man, this is, man, if I let go of the steering wheel, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I wonder if we're going we're gonna to crash, so I better hold on to this thing as tight as possible. And, and God's looking ba- back at us. The problem is that he's looking back, and he's not thinking that this is cute. The reality is that we are under the delusion many times that we are in control of something that we have zero control over. This is a fantasy. You see, it's true in our lives. We think we're controlling our lives, but that is not true and this can be very frustrating. See, this is something that we have to deal with all the time because there are moments when our finances are like, man, I have done everything and look where I'm at now. In our health, like I have done everything possible to be healthy and look where I am now. In your relationships, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, man, I thought I was controlling this thing. I've done everything in my power. And all of a sudden, you realize it looks like this whole thing wasn't the way that I thought it was going to be. We get frustrated and mad because we are under the illusion of being in control. And the sooner we understand this, the better it's going to be because God will bring things into your life to remind you, to remind you 
that you're not in control. A couple of weeks back, I had a really hard week, a really hard week. And if the, for those of you who know me, it's not easy for me to just say that because my weeks are, all my weeks are amazing. This was a hard one. And so it was just a hard, it was, it was specifically one specific day that was just really hard, just one thing after another. And then I, I, I go home for lunch, driving my car, I get into my driveway and I look at my, my tire and I had a flat. And it's like, honestly, when that happened, I just started laughing. I hadn't gotten a flat in five years since we moved here. First flat ever. And it was just God reminding me. He was reminding me, you're not in control, remember? I got you, okay? Get off of this illusion that you've got any say. Just follow me. I've got this. And it just, it changed my posture. It changed my, my perspective. And I gave it all to God that day. Until then I get back in the seat and try to act like I'm, you know, it's like it's always back and forth. And if you know yourself well enough, you know that, that that's just a daily, a daily struggle, Nothing changed from God's position. Nothing changed. Does that, does that make sense? It's not like, oh, yeah, now God take control. It's like, no, no, remember, I've always been in control since the beginning. You just forgot. And that gave me a great sense of peace. Romans 11.36 says this. Um, it says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. It's the verse that we just, we just read. But, but when we open our eyes to this reality, our goals begin to change. You see, we often, we often try to bring God alongside with us. We're like, hey, God, I got a great plan. What do you think? No, I don't want to hear it. Just let me just keep going. And then I'll, okay, can, can you please allow me to do this thing? Because I really think, I really think that this is something that you would like. And he's just standing behind saying, like, how long, how, like, I'm going to do things in your life that are going to realign you. How long are you going to stop listening to me? You see, many times what we want to do is we want to bring God alongside us so he can sign off on our plans. And that is a bad idea. So what I want to do today is I want to invite you to give up that whole concept once and for all. Just give it up. Give up the whole idea of having God sign off on your plans. Hey, I've got a great plan for my life. What do you think? You want to sign off on it? Let's go. Let's do this thing together. No, I want to change your mindset to be able to awaken inside of you the reality that God has a plan for you, that that plan may be different than what you have in mind, but at the end of the day, that's the thing that's going to allow for you to become the person you were created to be. Our goal in life should be to find out what God wants to do through you. But the problem is that that takes giving up on everything. It takes giving up everything. Matthew 16, 25 says this. It says, for whoever wants to save their life, this is what this all is, by the way. It's, it's, it's try, when you try to have God sign off on your plans, it's basically, I want to save my life. I want to, I want to do the thing that I want to do. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, we'll find it. Now, the problem is this is counterintuitive. And culture tells us the opposite. Culture tells us just the opposite. Culture says you need to save your life. You have one life. 
And you gotta, you gotta make this life count so you can be happy and prosperous and have all your dreams come true. And I, I hear this even from pulpits. And I'm not a big, I'm not a big pulpit critic, but, but there's a lot of this happening right now. It's like, it's, like it, it's a man-centered gospel. It's a gospel that starts with you. It's a gospel that starts with your dreams and your plans and your future and your purpose. And you want God and the Bible and prayer and the church to, to, to come alongside you and help you reach what your heart desires. That is a man-centered gospel. And that is a big problem because it puts man at the center. And honestly, we have no idea what we're doing. We need God to show us. We need to start with him. You know, and there's a, uh, there's a concept in the, in the as, you, as you learn how to interpret the scriptures and you learn how to study the Bible, there's, there's, there's two concepts. One is, it's called exegesis. And then the other one's called eisegesis. So exegesis basically says, you're going you're gonna to go into the text and you're going to try to, to extract from the text what the author meant, and you want to communicate that to the congregation or whoever you're sharing it with. That's, that's exegesis. You're taking the, the meaning out of the scripture and you're presenting it. Now, I see, I see Jesus is different. I see Jesus is, is, I want to talk about this concept, and I'm going to find scriptures in the Bible that support what I want to say. Which one would you say is the right way? First one, right? You want to, you want to communicate what the Bible says, not what you want the Bible to say. And you say, see, that can happen in life too. In life, sometimes we, we start with ourselves. We start with what, what we want to do, right? And we ask God to sign off on what we want to do. So we're starting with ourselves. Just like you start off with what is it you want to say and you find scriptures to support it, sometimes you start with yourself and you're asking for God to support it. That's not the right way. We want to start with God. We want to start with with him. And you see, that's the calling today. It's make it your goal to find out what he wants you to do and pursue that with all your heart. This will give you a sense of peace. And the problem is that we, we want results. Like, I, I know what that feels like. You want results. You want your life to count. Like, our church right now, like, I want our church to grow. Like, I want a lot of people to come to to come to our church. But I have to be honest with you. Part of the reason why I want this church to grow is because I'm going to feel like my life counts and that what I'm doing here is, is helping the kingdom and I have something to show for the time that I'm dedicating here. And that's fine. But the problem is, when I come before the Lord, he is not gonna ask me how big your church was. He will not ask me that. He's going to ask me one thing, and the same is true for you and for me. He's going to ask us, were you obedient? Period. That's it. And the only way to get there is with humility. And that's the invitation today, is to humble ourselves. First Peter 5, 6 says this. It says, humble yourselves before, excuse me, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up at due time. So you start with humility. The mark of a disciple is humility. This is where you start. You start here. I'm going to get on my knees here. You start here. 
okay, God, this is, this is me. You know what you're doing. I'm here. Tell me what to do. You start there. In that moment, you start. You humble yourself before the Lord. And it says, in due time. He, he, not me, he will lift you and place you where he wants you. But we start with him. And Jesus is the best example of this. When he was the most powerful person in the room, he washed his disciples' feet. He goes to the cross. Philippians chapter 2 is what we read at the beginning. This is how we should follow as well. And I'll end with this. Can we go back to the rocky scene? Okay. I want you to think about that here for a minute. Who's the center of that image? Rocky. It's obvious, right? He's right at the center. There's no doubt. Everyone's just lifting up the name of Rocky in that moment. You see, we are called to take the focus off of ourselves and live our lives for the glory of God alone. And there's a metanoia, there's a change from the inside that needs to take place in your life today and in my life today. And we have defined what the life of a disciple is meant to be. If I were to, if I were to summarize what a disciple is called to do, a disciple is called to die to him or herself so that Christ can be raised up to life in your Life. It's this process of death and resurrection. You die to yourself and Jesus comes alive and begins to be formed inside of you. And this is how our story unfolds as we follow Jesus. So my question to you today, this, this morning is, what are you, we've asked this before, what are you currently putting to death in your life? You see, us thinking... Can we go back to the scene? Us thinking that our lives are about us is probably as ridiculous as that boy thinking that this scene is about him. You see, those kids, all those kids, the only thing that they're doing, they're coming around Rocky and they're lifting up the name of Rocky. Rocky, 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 Rocky. Like they're going crazy. They're lifting up this guy's name because he's the guy that's going to represent them. He's going to fight for them, let's say. Our role is also one thing and one thing only. And it is to lift the name of Jesus. Every single day in everything that we do, and it takes taking the sidelines and realizing that this whole story, the Bible, the church, our lives revolves around the one and only, the only one who deserves all of our praise, all of the glory, all of the honor. Let's pray together. So Lord God, we come before you as humbly as we can, as we can manage and we want to make this moment, this story, this church, our lives, just about you. This is a simple message, Lord God. I know that. But it is so hard. There is this pole, this pole that just 
lures us in and tries to make us want to be the center and want to walk in, in a way that not necessarily brings honor to you. So God, this morning we repent from that. We want to humble ourselves before you. Recognize that Christ has, has done it all, but that we are called to live this life and where we continuously bring glory to you. And we understand that this worship, this lifting of your name, this, this calling you holy, 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 is going to continue through eternity. So we might as well start now. So God, I pray that this will be helpful to us to understand who we are and who you are and what we're called to do. I pray that you'll speak to us continuously throughout this week. And we present this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.